whatever programs how the services go should remember that I'm a big crybaby and not do that again <laughs> before I have to get up and sock. Good morning, Freedom Center. Uh, I'm going to invite, oh, they're here. I've invited some friends to come and join us today because as our series on worship continues, um, it's been from the beginning our, our thought, our hope that we won't just enjoy good times of worship, but that we'll develop um, the ability to worship together, that we become corporate worshipers. And so one of the questions that, that comes up often that might kind of derail us from one another in worship is what do we do when the prayers that we're praying seem like they're not being answered? How do I continue to worship when in some ways, if I were to be completely honest, I might be a little bit upset with God right now because if I were God, by now I would have, right? How many of you guys know, never say if I were God around me because I'm afraid of lightning, you know? But you understand the question, right? Like what, what is happening when it seems like nothing's happening? And so... Last week I was in Houston and I was writing a message um, and I, I had just confessed to God this is a good message. God knows that when I say this is a good message, that means it's not a God message. It's a good message. It's got the Bible in it, people will worship, and maybe sometimes between Wednesday and Sunday good messages can become God messages, but this is a good message and I'll, I'll do the best I can. I mean, I just know that when a creative department needs it for the slides, it can almost feel like homework and I'll, I'll work on it and change the whole thing by Sunday, but they need something to make slides out of. So I had just confessed that and then Dina said, how's it going? We were talking, probably about three or four texts into it. I said, babe, I'm actually, I got just a, a little bit while uh, more and then I got to go off the, to speak and listen and all that stuff. So would you... Uh, you know, I, I got to finish the message. She said, oh, I'm too late then. I said, too late for what? She said, I just felt like God wanted to do something this Sunday. I'm like, me too, and I haven't found it yet. You know, what, what is that? So I was thinking about having Amber come and share her story with the congregation. And I thought, you know, we talked about it a little bit more. What if the McKays came as well? And so this morning, you get to hear a testimony of the goodness, the faithfulness, the greatness of God and restoring and, and being with us through hard times. Would you welcome these people right here? <clears throat> so Amber, let's just start with you. You were raised in a fabulous Assemblies of God church in a small town I in was. Michigan. <laughs> I was. In Fenton, Michigan. And tell, us, tell us about being raised in the church. Now, your, your parents were on staff probably at the time, so you're a preacher's kid to some degree. Yep, everybody called me the PK, pastor's kid. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, raised by... Uh, Wild really... wolves. I'm sorry, by Jason. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, a really good mom and a really good dad and um, had an amazing um, family here at the Freedom Center and uh, always hung out with, since I was little, Brett and Sarah every single Sunday and all of yeah. our, our friends. And um, yeah, I had a good, a good upbringing. Right. And then at a certain point in time, everybody's faith has to become their faith. It's, it's your mom and dad raise you in their faith, and that comes with certain protections and prohibitions and blessings and responsibilities and all that stuff. But at some point, a person, regardless of, you know, sometimes it's when they're 12, sometimes it's when they're 22, they kind of go, what do I believe? And when you went through that, you, you kind of began to explore some other areas. Yeah. Um, well, the world always seemed really interesting to me. And yeah. Worldly things always um, piqued my interest, and the simple, simple life, uh, the godly life, I was kind of like, hmm, that's boring. So <laughs> I went off and did my own thing for a really long time. Ever since I was younger, I, um, I was probably like 12 or 13, and mm -hmm. I would like watch movies, and I would tell my mom, 
I'm going to move out when I'm 16, and I'm going to go do drugs and drink alcohol. And she was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's my plan. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I did. I uh, started doing drugs when I was 15, and it started with simple stuff like um, marijuana and uh, mm-hmm. drinking and quickly escalated. Um, and I moved out when I was, what, 16? Was it 16? 17? Yeah, because my parents said, you can't do drugs living here. And I said, what? So then I left. Um, Who do they think they are? Right. (laughs) Um, And I didn't move. I didn't really move anywhere. I just kind of went. My friends um, were all partiers, and their parents didn't care. So I would bounce from house to house. um, And, you know, I had a lot of freedom, so I just went ham. And shortly after, I overdosed. Yeah. Um, and my friends uh, didn't do anything. Like, they just kind of let me. I don't remember, but they just didn't, they didn't help me, you know. Right. Um, my friend's sister had to call my parents and say, you have to come get her. And um, they picked me up, and they took me to Tim Hortons to get a donut and macaroni and cheese, which I don't remember, but they told me. <laughs> and then they took me to the hospital. And um, I didn't know where I was or what was happening for, like, three days. Um, the f- only thing I remember is waking up and seeing JD at the side of my bed. And I said, I know your phone number. Please tell me your dad's not here. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> standing there? And he said, he's at the end of the bed. And I said, hi, Pastor Jim. <laughs> hi. So good to see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Um. Yeah, and then uh, from there, I um, went to this rehabilitation center where they filled me up with more drugs, and I got home um, after leaving there, and I just did it all again. I I just left, and this time I knew my limit, and um, yeah, I just left to party more, and yeah. Right. So, Pastor Jason, let's, let's ask you this question. So, you've got, you know... Uh, a daughter that's heading in the wrong direction. You're a man of prayer, man of faith, uh, tremendous tenacity. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a bulldog and, and you would beat her in a tug of war kind of thing. So yeah. now, now darkness is tugging at your daughter and you're praying prayers. And, oh, yeah. and you think maybe the overdose. Okay, now she's learned something. Mm-hmm. But it goes right back to it. Tell us a little bit about your, your walk with God during that time. I mean, literally this is, the world just stopped. Nothing else mattered. Yeah. That was... Uh, <laughs> like we've been through a lot of hard things. Nothing comes close yeah. to that season. I'll never forget the day she, she's walking out, 17 years old, legally, because you can't do anything about it. She's 17, and she's got her garbage bag full of crap, <laughs> clothes and whatnot, and it's everything she owns. And she's walking out, and I'm like, you're seriously going to do this? Trying logic. And she's like, I love you, but yeah. You're not going to let me do the way I, live the way I want to live. And she got in the back of her, or got in her friend's car and drove away. And that was the moment that just is stuck right here when she walked away and just said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, and, and it wasn't too much longer. We, we picked her up and we took her to Tim Hortons because... They have good donuts? She, she, had no, she had not eaten. She hadn't yeah. been eating any food. So we were like, have you eaten anything? She didn't remember and she was obviously groggy and out of it and I said well let's let's stop and get her food because it wasn't like we need to get her the 
emergency hospital right now was like, no, something's going on. We don't know exactly. And we, we thought she hadn't eaten in days. Who knows? She's just going couch to couch. And uh, yeah, it was the worst time of my life. Yeah. Melanie, can I ask you, so you've got, again, back to that the element of faith, right? So there's things you can do. There's things you can't do. You can't kill her. You know what I mean? Or anyone else. And, or, or even hire somebody that's <laughs> illegal in this state at this time. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so now what you've got is, what do you what do? You do? When, when you don't have anything else, anywhere else, or anyone else that can help you, and someone you love more than yourself is, is bent on destroying themselves, how do you, what do you, what was next for you? I know it's cliche, but all I had was God. Yeah. And so, and... Um, Well, he was the only thing that brought me peace. And so I just remember um, just repeating scripture, um, raise a child in the way they will go. Yeah. And I had to hold on to that. Even in those moments where it's like, you know, someone's going to knock at my door and my kid's going to be dead. Yeah. Um, this might sound really morbid, but I was prepared for that in my heart. It's not morbid at all. And so being prepared for that in my heart, I think God showed me how to pray. And so I just held on to that and like, God, whatever you want to do, if you need to take her to keep her safe, take her because she's yours and give me that peace. And I kind of walked in that and I've had, it's funny because over the years I've had people say, that's not how you, that I was wrong, but I knew that I wasn't. And it didn't matter what other people said because I knew what God was saying to me. So just holding on to that, just knowing, like, God, whatever, I don't know your will, but I know that you, that it's perfect, and I know that, that whatever you want to do is perfect, right. even if I don't understand it. I want it to be what you have. I want the best outcome for her, whatever that looked like. And so I just kind of held on to that, and I prayed a lot. And I was thinking the other day, like, I've heard people say I, I was mad at God, and I can honestly stand before you guys. I was never mad. I didn't understand it, but I just had this, I guess this naive trust. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just had this like little kid naive trust that God is God and I am human. And that's, I had to stand on that because logic, there was no logic. Like, why is my kid crazy? Then I would remember like, she is me. This was me. I just like, I'm reaping what I sowed, you know, like this was, this is my kid, this is, she is me completely, except she took it a little bit further, right? you know, so. Now, when you and and Jason first met, the first words you ever spoke to him were. Are you serious? No, I'm just curious. Just like you're saying, she is me. Can I tell the story? Yes. So the first. You know we're being recorded, So Jason walks over to this beautiful girl and is staring at her and, and her words, I'll paraphrase, it was something like what the. Something who, are you? Who? Are you? Who, yeah. who the are you? Yeah, who the blank are you? <laughs> Real so classy. at that point, he realized that she was a translator for the French language, and he didn't know that, and she became <laughs> more attractive. Uh, Dina, ask Amber a, a question. You got one? Oh, for, ask Amber? Well, anybody Mine you want. Is more, I feel like I know more of Pastor Jason and Melanie's side because that's yeah. just the hours I've spent with them and praying and everything. And I would watch you guys like Amber would go to rehab, and you guys would almost like let your guard down, like this time, and then it would not work out. And I never once saw you guys give up on her, never. 
like um, every time you just dug your feet in and fought harder and harder. Like what keeps you doing that when you are like, she's just going to do it again. You know, that's what so many people would have. What other choice do you have? Like you have to, if you give up, then you're give. like if I, we were to give up, she wouldn't be here. Right. I firmly believe that. Like you can't give up no matter what the situation, you just can't. And I, we were taking a walk the other day and I was thinking to myself, Jason and I, and I said, sometimes I think, and I think it's the enemy, but I get that if you would have prayed harder, she would have come around sooner. And I have to fight that because I prayed pretty hard. Yeah, you did. You but, but also I feel like, what if I would have prayed harder? And I think people get that, like, if you would have done this, but it, Holy Spirit had to speak to her. Right? Now, Amber, I see you shaking your head no. She says if I should have prayed harder, you know, that you, you would have come around sooner, but you, you were shaking your head like, that's not true. What are, yeah. what are your thoughts? Um, of course, there... Uh, faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness to me was significant in my life, but there's nothing that would have pulled me away from it. I loved it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I had this deep, empty void that when I was sober, I just couldn't. Right. The emptiness that comes when you're done. Yeah, I just couldn't deal with it. It was too much, and it would yeah. much rather get high and not worry about not care what people think you know I was always like the the loud one I felt like I was always annoying and when I was high I wasn't like that and um or I just felt all these lies you know all these lies in in this deep void and the only thing that that filled it quick and easy was um drugs and you know so yeah nothing they could have done would have made me stop there's a free will element in this, right? It's mm-hmm. not, if they would have prayed on their knees rather than standing, then you would have changed your mind sooner. You had, as a prodigal child, and, and the Bible goes away and has to learn mm-hmm. some things out there before they're willing to come back. Right. You were going through the process of, of really discovering your own faith in God, which just seems strange, right? The, what, if you're in a bar, are you looking for God? Like, in, in a sense, yes. Actually, there's a, mm-hmm. was it Martin Luther said, the man who enters a brothel. You know, to buy a prostitute is looking for God. He's looking yeah. for he's looking for peace. He's looking for pleasure. He's looking for connection. He just doesn't know it. He's finding it in other places. You know. Yeah. That so. Um. Last week we spoke on guilt, shame, and fear, and there had to be come a point where you said, "I can't live this way anymore." The guilt, the shame, the fear. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what was your breaking point where you were like, "I'm done. I can't keep," because I mean. You're a wife, you're a mom, you have beautiful kids, you know, and I know that um, that was probably the hardest times I watched your parents go through was knowing their grandkids yeah. were yeah. being exposed to this mm-hmm. and how many times they would come and say, we don't know the right thing to do. Do we go get our grandkids? Right. Do we call CPS? Do we, you know, and um, they were just, when, like, when did you get because having kids didn't do it. Getting no. married didn't no. do it. You know, people try to fill those voids with, right. I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, I'm going right. to, and everything. Yeah, so. I have a wonderful husband and um, wonderful babies, but they didn't take my pain away. So um, I don't know how to explain. One day I was just sitting in my room and 
I was like, I'm not an addict. These, like, everybody thinks I can't stop. I can stop whenever I want to. I just don't want to. So I took a break for a couple of days, like one or two days, and I was like, I really can't do this. I can't do this. I'm an addict. And I just felt like the Lord said, you're done. You are done. And I was like, okay, I'm done. And I, I just had nothing left to fight. I was either going to kill myself or I was going to do something else. So I called my friend Lanisha and I said, I need help. Um, help me. And she sent me up in rehab. And um, I got sober. And when I came out, it wasn't like, wow, this is great. It was like, wow, this is hard. And I have to deal with all these emotions that I don't know how to deal with. Shame, guilt. Um, and it's not like I just stopped sinning. I still wanted to fill that void. I still wanted to get away from that feeling. Um, and so it took me a while to really just give up myself to the Lord completely. Like two or three months after I got out of rehab and then I was like okay I surrender I don't know what to do I I'm so lost I don't even know what this means I surrender I was raised in it my whole life but I don't I don't ex I don't understand so um once I fully surrendered like I just genuinely gave up when I hurt I said okay Jesus I hurt and I just hurt I just decided to hurt not run away you know um so um you probably don't know but I know when you were going through the fight, you worshipped a lot. Worship has always been a huge part of you. Yeah. Singing and everything. Yeah. And your mom would send me videos of you singing mm -hmm. through the hardest of times when you were fighting the desire to, I want to go back. I want to go get the drugs. I want to go do, you know, all the stuff. And instead, you made the choice. That's not my identity anymore. I don't live in shame and guilt and fear. Yeah. But I live in innocence and honor. And, and I'm going to worship through this. Yeah. And can you just talk about that? How yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like when I would feel that urge and I, you know, felt it a lot, um, I would just worship. I would turn on worship music really loud and I would worship. And that didn't make me all of a sudden, wow, I don't feel any shame or any guilt. But it was, screw you, devil. <laughs> like, no. Write, write that down if you're taking notes. <laughs> Sorry. Good theology. It was, it was um, you can't have me. And it was. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> you can't have me. Yeah. I love that. It was, you can't have me. And it was, um, it was out loud worshiping over and over again. And it took, it took routine and it took consistency to do that over and over again until finally I was like, oh, I don't feel shame anymore. But through it, I felt shame. I just had to push through that. Even how yeah. silly I felt, how dumb I felt, screaming at the top of my lungs, running around my house, worshiping. It didn't matter because the only thing that mattered was Jesus saw me and he said, I'm here. And he was so faithful. He was faithful when I was on drugs when I was high I would worship that never stopped because I I knew there was something more I just didn't know how to get out of it you know yeah so I'm gonna talk to Jason and Melly I'm sorry am I taking over no I'm just screw you devil you can't have me I'm stuck there I love that I'm trying to figure out the Chinese character so I get my tattoo but PJ and Mel that I know you guys had to struggle with the guilt shame you know why didn't we do more I'm not worthy, and um, 
one of the times that broke me the most for you guys during all of this was, um, it was a Saturday night, I believe, and Amber, Pastor Jason had just gotten word that she was going to do something she shouldn't be, and he was like, I'm done, I'm going to get her, and nobody really knew what that meant, and, um, but Melanie's like, I don't know where he's going, but he came home and got his gun, I hope that's not too much, but um, you was, were prepared to do, it was a sketchy do, place, right, and I mean, that's, right, the enemy can try to say, why did you do that? You shouldn't be caring. You shouldn't. And all the shame that comes with that. And Melanie, you were texting me and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. And we prayed. And, but on Sunday morning, I watched you two front row holding hands, just loving on God. And I said, how do you do that? And, um, because in the back of my head, I know I would feel like the enemy saying, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, your daughter's doing this, you don't even know where your daughter is right now, you, you know, but how, just, I know you said he's the only thing you had, but you had to have those thoughts going on in your mind, so. We had all the thoughts. I, literally, the world stops every time we get a phone call or find something out or whatever, but, but it comes to the point where we, we realize our circumstances in life does not mean that God is not God. Mm-hmm. Our circumstances in life, I mean, what bills do, this happens, that happens. This is real. Like our daughter's life is on the line. And, and everybody we love is going to be impacted by this. And this is, this is major. And it's almost out of her control. Right. So can I add something to that story? Yeah. Your granddaughter was also with her that night. Yeah. And you didn't know, is she taking my granddaughter? Is she? And you said, I'm going to get my granddaughter at least. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that's a... Um, yeah. It, it, that boundary is constantly, it, it flexes, and it's hard to know when to push, when to pull, when to do the thing. But at that point, I, that was my breaking point. I'm like, I'm pushing. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, it's justified in my mind. I feel like God's giving me the green light. I'm good. I'm going to get her. Um, I, I don't think I did that. And I think by the time I got there, she had actually been home. So it actually was a good thing, probably. <laughs> um, and, and they were safe at home with the family and whatnot. Um, but I just, I, I know you probably want to add to this, but I just, it, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We still had a thriving youth ministry. We still had, you know, a couple hundred kids that we're ministering to that have every single problem you could ever imagine. Friends, family, you know, adult ministry, uh, FCMA. Like everything was still flowing and we're still ministering and people are still bleeding. But the whole time we're bleeding out at the same time. And that wasn't, that's not to say we shouldn't have been ministering, because I believe that we 100% should have. But to think about it correctly and say, my circumstances don't change who God is, and that God's still on the throne, and that he's still good, and that he still deserves our praise. Like, the, the, my life is his regardless of circumstance, regardless of scenario. I think people say that because it's the right answer, but we watch you do that. Melly, could you talk about, is it hard like, I, I kind of said in the opening part here, what do you do when it feels like your prayers is taking a lot longer to answer, and there's that fear that they may never be answered, and yet, you know, that's the right answer. Well, you just said the right answer, but man, to translate into this song, this moment, this, this church, this congregation, this, right, this opportunity, I'm going to worship when I feel like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, what, yeah. where did that come from, that... Was it a knowledge? Was it a heart? Was it I had no place else to go? 
I'm not sure I know how to answer that. But yeah, yeah, so I felt like I had two choices. I could hide at home <laughs> and nobody would ever know that I was hurting and probably a lot of people didn't. People that were closest to us did. But I could, I could hide at home and fix it there, which is, we wouldn't get fixed. Or I could be here surrounded by people and um, I just remember in those times of worship were the best. Mm -hmm. Why? So Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Is it that thing like I, the only place I can find peace is you sort of a moment or? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I would do it at home, put the music on at home too. And I know if, if you understand this, you get it. But it's just, there's something about being with other people who are singing as well. Mm. Um, and the words would hit me different, and I would be a mess up here, and I'm crying, and I'm crying for, because I'm praying for her, but at the same time, it just felt like a big hug, mm -hmm. you know? Being so, with people in corporate yeah. worship. Even though I was, like, by myself, and no one else really knew what was going on inside of me, it was just felt, I just felt like Holy Spirit was just hugging me and telling me that he's got this. Right on. So, I and that. I didn't want to do that by myself at home. It's, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to be here because if I, it, it's too easy to be at home. And I want, you know, what he always says, only the hard things are worth doing. So there was, there was probably plenty of times I didn't want to be here, but he said, no, we're going. And I'm, and I'm glad for that because yeah. I might have. Reclused. Yeah. yeah. So can I ask a question on that? There were numerous times that you two would talk to me and say, we're not in agreement on what we should do. And, and when you found out Jason was right, how did you submit to him? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's super easy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I always just, even though we weren't into an agreement on things, I just knew, I just look at it like this. He's my umbrella. And at the end of the day, this is going to sound funny, but at the end of the day, if he's wrong, that's on him. <laughs> just saying. It's true. It's a distinctly feminine laugh, by the way. Just it's saying. Just He's, he holds the umbrella and I stand underneath it, but I did trust him through it. It's like, okay. And not, maybe not every decision was the right one, but God always blessed it anyways. You know what I mean? And, and I'm sure there was times as a mom, I wanted to coddle. Let me just protect her. Let me just, I'll go get her. I'll do this. Or, and, it, you know, sometimes tough love is the love that needs to be given. So it was, it was good that he did the things that, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to do. <laughs> and now, Amber, you lead this congregation in worship. We're proud of you. And, yeah. and, and the person that, you know, you've allowed God to make you um, and the hard choices. And I, I, I hate to speak in past tense terms because you got a lot of life in front of you, you know, and, and I, but just that light to praying parents, that light to struggling people, yeah. that testimony. You know what I mean? What would you say? to somebody today um, that, that is, I, th I think the words you use is I knew the right thing, I chose the wrong thing until the wrong thing led me to a, a dead end road. Yeah. And now I've got to make this decision to come back. What, what could somebody have said to you in that process or what could you say to somebody now to help them? You use the word surrender. I surrender all. And you say, I don't even know what that means, but I, your heart does, right? Yeah. You know that there's, that's a terrifying thing and yet mm -hmm. 
It wasn't like, and then I, I, I went to church and everything's been fine ever since. Right. But what would you, what would you say to somebody that's they've walked away from God or they're walking away from God because the world says I can make this better right now? Yeah. Um, it's super, it's super easy to hide in darkness. Um, it's like a bed you lay in. It's just, it's easy. You just lay down. Um, but you can do the same thing um, in, in Jesus's arms. You can lay down, whether you're laying on your bed or just really, that's what, like, when I was, when I struggle, I just lay in his presence. And it's not an immediate fix. Like, a lot of things that we have at our fingertips can be. Um, but it's a long-lasting fix. Um, and also, I feel like I should say, you know, not a lot of people knew how bad my addiction was. My own husband didn't know how bad my addiction was. My friends found out I went to rehab, and they were like, what? Why? And it's because I didn't want anybody to hold me accountable, and I was able to do drugs and stay an addict for over 10 years without anybody other than my parents really saying "That's that's a huge problem. And, like, people knew it was a problem, but they didn't know how deep and how um, much of a hold the enemy had on me. Um, And the only way I was able to really get out of it was telling somebody, just being like, this is all my disgusting, filthy Mm. sin. Can you help me? Um, Who was that person? Lanisha and Daniel. Yeah. Yeah, Phillips. Who who also lead us in worship. Lanisha does. Daniel, thank you for not leading us in worship, brother. Yeah. Lanisha doesn't. She will be in a while. (laughs) Amen. And, and that's their testi- your testimony and their testimony have a lot in it's common. It's the same, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I was able to just tell them all of the things that I was so ashamed of, and they just took me. And they said, you know, we got you. And they really, they, even if I continued to sin, they'd be like, you're such an idiot, but come over. <laughs> Hang out with us. And I'd be like, okay. So, yeah, just... Um, if you're struggling with um, an addiction, a hidden addiction, and, and you look so normal on the outside, but you're suffering so bad on the inside, um, it's so important to talk to somebody. And it's not like, oh, take these 10 steps, and then you're going to be, it's no program. It's just yeah. Jesus. Yeah. There's nothing you have to do before you go to him. Yeah. You, you, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I could have done. It's literally just Jesus. There's nothing, you know, it's not me. It's him. And I was so wrapped up and stuck in sin. And I really felt like I was, there was no way I was going to hell and I knew it. And I didn't, that was it. And so I was like, well, I might as well live it up, you know, and do what, whatever I can do. And Jesus pulled me out of that. And I never thought, I never thought I'd be out of it. Yeah. So it's crazy. We've only got a couple minutes left, but I, I want to just dig into that just a quick second. So I'm going to hell, and there's nothing I can do about it, and I, it's my own choice. And I've, right, all those, all those lies. At some point, you have to believe that God loves you enough that you can say, I'm sorry, and he says, I love you. Yeah. But what, what, what happened? What, is that a moment? Was that a month? Is that still a process you're in? Like, where you know that God is greater than what you've done? Because most people don't, Right. Yeah. That's, that's one, of the, one of the traps of addiction is that what I've done is worse than, than the good things that Jesus has done for me. I'm, I'm greater than God by my own hand. Seriously, it was, um, 
it was a moment where I just said, I don't know what to do anymore. And he just, <laughs> it was a moment where he just, he, he said, you're done. It's time. Yeah. And I just blindly <laughs> made a choice to say, okay. And it was so hard and it is so hard. But it's just a choice. It's just a choice. Everything is. And it's a hard choice. It's an everyday choice. But it's so worth it to be close to our Father. Amen. One last question. Yeah, just real quick, though. I just want to say um, the Word talks about he who has been forgiven much loves much. And it's really cool because you know how much God's forgiven you of. And to watch you worship, the love that you have for the Father is very evident and beautiful. So thank you for going through that. Um, but PJ and Mel, my question is for you guys once again. Just parents sitting out here in the auditorium, I watched you guys go through this and the battles to nobody else is going through this. If they know, if people know what we're going through, they won't, they'll judge us. They'll, you know, and every time you had to fight that. But like, what would you say to parents that are sitting out here that are going through something like this, whether it be drugs um, I don't even want to get into things. Never give up. Never. Giving up is not an option. The reason we didn't give up is because that wasn't an option. If somebody would have told me I was allowed to give up, I may have considered it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not an option. Giving up is not an option. Period. And uh, I think that Jesus, right? He didn't give up. And I think the other thing is this, is that the word makes it very clear who she is. Hmm. And I get to choose to look at her and her actions and decide this is who she is because this is what she's done. But if that's the case, we're in a whole heap load of trouble, every single one of us, every single one of us. So identity comes from the Father, from His Word, from Him. And so what we do, what you should do, what Christians should do is read the Word and say, that's the truth about this person right here. Whether it's my daughter or the guy that just cut me off in traffic, it doesn't matter. The truth is the truth, and that's who they are. And so just taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ, actually, not just saying the words, but actually doing it, and then saying, no, I know who this is. I understand what God has for her. That's, that's the only way. You saw a completed work in the process and held on to the completed work. Yeah. Um, Band, come and join us. To hit on that, I would say... It was helpful that we knew who we were. Yeah. Because if you don't know who you are, then where are you supposed to start? So on the identity, knowing who we were, knowing who she was. Plus us having conversations about it. It's very important that if you are going through that, that you're talking with your spouse and then you're praying. Yeah. You praying together and then praying over the situation instead of trying to, it's easy. I don't want to think about it, you know, but you have to because that's how you fight, right? Yeah. I love, what's that? One last thing real quick. The other thing was, honestly, just our, our, this church, like having the right people. We didn't tell everybody, obviously. And we were like, hey, guys, guess what's going on? But having a, a small circle of people that we trust, the staff, uh, obviously, Pastor Jim and Dina, and having people that we can go to and talk to about it and that people we knew were going to be, you know, praying with us, honestly. That, that right there, that's what you're, basically what you're saying is having somebody to bounce it off of and getting other perspectives and right. doing this together in the same direction. Huge. Love it. Can we express our appreciation to this courageous family for sharing their story today? Thank you, guys. Love it. So 
We're going to be transitioning back into a season of, of worship. And I, I hope that for those of you who are like, man, I've been wrestling with this for a long time, would understand that you are not precluded from this environment because you're going through something. You're included because you're going through something. Does that make sense? If you're like, man, I'm, I'm this close to coming back to Jesus, but I'm not quite ready yet. Um, I love what Amber said, that I, when I was drunk, when I was stoned, when I was high, I would worship. How many of you guys know that's, God knew who she was. God knew who she was, and those moments were bringing her back. I remember sitting on a bar stool in Coppers Cove, Texas, an alcoholic, and my buddy said, what are you going to do when you get out of the army? And I said, I'm going to be a missionary. <laughs> he said, no, seriously, that's not even funny, man. Don't joke about that. I'm like, I'm not joking. I don't know how to be sober in the military, but when I get out of here, I'm going to find my way back to God. I mean, just know that God's gifts and recallings are without repentance. It doesn't change his mind about your calling. So if you have a child or a loved one that's going through something, remember God calls them by their name. God knows who they are, and God is working on them as we speak. They may be running away from you at a million miles an hour, but you just heard a testimony, and that testimony creates a legal precedent for what God can do and God has done and what God will do. If you're like running away from God and maybe this is your first time in church in 10 years, man, you know, or maybe you've never been in church before, the reason you're here right now is probably twofold. One is because maybe you're looking for God, but the other one, I promise you, he's been looking for you for a long time. Would you stand to your feet? And as you do, just remember this, that neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, past, or future, nothing. Everybody say nothing. The Bible says nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amber's actions didn't separate her from the love of God. He kept loving her with great protest. <laughs> her protest, not his. You keep loving your children. You keep loving those that are away from the Lord. And um, we're just going to trust God. Amen? We're just going to trust God. So this morning, let's do this. How many guys believe that God is enough? In this moment, trusting him, that's, that's where we're at. So in this moment, if I trust him, will miracles happen? Maybe. If I trust him right now, will my wayward child come home? Maybe. But I, I know this, whether or not the answers to prayer come quickly or over centuries, the right thing to do is to trust God today. And so he's worthy of our praise. And if that doesn't work, just say, screw you, devil, you can't have me. You, <laughs> you can't have my brain. You can't have my heart. You can't have my faith. You can't have my future. You can't have what I believe is going to happen. That doesn't belong to you. That belongs to God. So who I am and what I trust in, that's up to me. I have a free will and I have chosen, I have chosen to trust the Lord. So these altars, again, serve as an offering plate for willing lives that would come and stand here and just, just be with him. Just trust him. Amen? Let's worship the Lord this morning.